0: Father, we have not the breath in our lungs to praise you and to worship you and to thank you for all that you have accomplished. We don't have the words that are adequate to say that Jesus is worthy, the one who conquered sin and death and who reigns victoriously today. We don't even have the capacity within our hearts to love as we ought to love as he deserves. But Lord, our desire is to be near to you. So please draw us near even in these moments. And through the sanctifying work of your spirit, Lord, may our worship to you and may our desire to be governed by your word be pleasing to you. Thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise team, thank you for leading us in our singing today. So grateful for Hunter Wilkerson, Hunter and Heather, our student pastor. What an incredible uh, disciple now our students have enjoyed, and Hunter will be coming to do the announcements here after I'm done, and I just want you guys to know how grateful we are for Hunter and for Heather and for him serving our church and our students, and for so many of you who helped to make this Disciple Now such a, a great time for our students. And we want you to know that when you give to support ministries uh, at this church, you're supporting ministries like Disciple Now that help to uh, encourage growth and sanctification in the life of our student ministry. So thank you as well. Even if you weren't actively involved, you were passively involved by the way that you generously support the ministries here at our church. Well, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 28, if you will. Acts in chapter 28. After the first major victory for the Allies in World War II, Winston Churchill said, now this is not the end, not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. In other words, real progress is being made, but it was still early in the the war. The British troops had just driven the German troops back out of Egypt, routing Rommel's troops at Alamein. And this was a turning point. And Churchill was hopeful that the momentum that they had gained there would carry on through and push through the next phase of victory and then ultimately to uh, assured victory. And we know this did occur, World War II, September of 1945. And I've had the pleasure of knowing several World War II veterans. And if you have as well, then you know it's no wonder why they call this the greatest generation. right? Their sacrifice and hard work to guard and to ensure our freedoms was second to none. We're grateful for those who have served our country in so many different ways. Well, we've come to the end of our study here in the book of Acts And we started with Jesus' commission and his ascension and we moved to the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came down and filled those who were following Christ. And we've seen the the gospel moving forward, right? So we've come to this end and, and we know that through Peter and James and through so many unnamed people, the gospel is advancing And thousands and thousands in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria were coming to faith in Christ. And then we pick up in Acts chapter 13, and we've been following Paul's ministry for several chapters now. And we've seen the gospel going through three different missionary journeys, further and further, advancing even to the ends of the earth. And along the way, Paul has had this impression of God that he is to go to Rome, that he is to speak the gospel there, that he is to Uh, advanced the gospel even before Caesar. And this had been confirmed by God on multiple occasions. And then last week, we saw the journey to Rome finally begin, but then get paused due to a shipwreck. Well, this morning, we're picking up right where we left off last week, the end of verse 27, end of chapter 27, excuse me. And not to spoil the ending, Paul does end up in Rome, and he will be under house arrest, but we don't actually see him standing before Caesar. Not in this book here. However, early records suggest that Paul was eventually released from house arrest. And then he would have traveled west, maybe going to Spain where he desired to go to preach the gospel. And then maybe on his way back east, he was again in prison in Rome where he would stand before Nero and then ultimately be beheaded for his faith. But one thing we do know for certain is that the gospel did not end with Paul. Paul. And it did not end with any of the other apostles for that matter. In fact, Luke's second volume here, the book of Acts, testifies to the gospels spread by the power of the Holy Spirit in followers of Christ. Followers like you and followers like me. Everyday people who've been changed by the grace of God, who've been given a testimony because of the grace and the love of God to go and to speak and to live the gospel while this is the end of the book of Acts, it's only the beginning, the end of the beginning in terms of the gospel's spread, the church, and the kingdom of God. And I want to draw out four key points as we look at the book of Acts today. So four key points from the book of Acts, of Acts chapter 28. Um, if you will, let's stand together and read. We'll begin with the first 10 verses of Acts in chapter 28. Acts "'Though he has escaped the sea, "'justice has not allowed him to live. "'He, however, shook off the creature into the fire "'and suffered no harm. "'They were waiting for him to swell up "'or to suddenly fall down dead. "'But when they had waited a long time "'and saw no misfortune come to him, "'they changed their minds and said that he was a god. "'Now in the neighborhood of that place "'were our lands belonging to the chief man of the island "'named Publius, who received us "'and entertained us hospitably for three days.' It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. This is the word of God, and may he bless it in our presence today. You may be seated. Now, as we begin this last study in our year long study thus far of the book of Acts, the first thing to note is that we are to fear the sovereign judge. We are to fear the sovereign judge. So all the people who were on board that ship made it safely to land. All 276 people or so made it safely to land. This is what God had promised to Paul, that those who were with him, right, they stayed put, they listened to the word of God, they stayed together, would make it safely to the land. There would be no loss of life. And they learned that the island that they got to, Was called Malta. Now, Malta is about 200 miles south of Sicily. Sicily is the largest island in the Mediterranean. Sicily is separated from the mainland of Italy by a strait, a strait of Messina, which actually is a dangerous journey to go through this strait to get from one side to the other side, but it saved quite a bit. Of time. And there's a few things to notice here from the first 10 verses of Acts in chapter 28. And the first here is that the native people of Malta are unusually kind and hospitable. So the people there, On Malta were unusually kind and hospitable, right? They, They were gracious. They took them in. They welcomed them. They made a fire for them because it was cold. And ultimately, they were going to give them the supplies they needed to finish the journey all the way to Italy. Now, in the movies, when you watch a movie, you know this. If you get stranded on an island and you start seeing people, it's usually not a great thing. And if they tell you they want to have you for dinner, That's not a good thing. That's not what's happening. But here on Malta, it is different, and they are kind, and they are gracious. And we know that the people on the island of Malta were pagan people, and they were swayed by various worldly philosophies, and they believed in various false gods. And this comes out clearly in the account of Paul getting bit by this viper. Look again at verse 4, if you will. Uh, Paul's there, he's putting sticks in the fire. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped the sea, reference to the shipwreck and everything, justice has not allowed him to live. In other words, the universe wasn't about to let a guilty person get away with such a heinous crime. So the reference to justice there in verse four likely refers to a goddess daughter of the pagan god Zeus. And in some ways, friends, this was kind of like karma. You know, live bad and do wrong things and it's gonna catch up with you. You may be okay for a while, but ultimately it's going to catch up with you. And perhaps then that's why the natives were so kind and gracious and welcoming to those who had landed on the island, those who were shipwrecked there. But that's not how scripture presents the concept of justice, is it? Scripture presents to us a sovereign God, a sovereign judge who rules all things. He is the creator God. Scripture presents to us a God who is righteous and who is holy, and the rights and the wrongs that we have in life that are dictated in life flow from his character. And by the way, When we fail, when we sin, when we miss the mark of God's righteousness, it's not that we are offending an impersonal force, it's that we are offending the personal God, the God of the universe, and we stand guilty before him. And by the way, because the creator God is real and because the creator God has revealed himself fully to us in his word and in Jesus Christ, there is absolute truth. And judgment isn't left up to the universe to ultimately make things right. Justice is doled out by a sovereign God, by a sovereign judge who is good and who is perfect in every way. When we look at the world, sometimes we think, well, wait a minute, well, why, why does the wicked, why do they keep advancing and, and why do the evil people prosper? And we say, how long, oh God, how long will this go on? And we have to recognize that God's timing is not our timing. We want things in the here and now. And and the truth is, sometimes there is judgment in the here and now. But we see that sometimes evil continues to grow and continues to prosper, at least seemingly right now. But there is coming a day when God will set all things right. And ultimately, no one will escape God's righteous judgment. But here's the good news. The good news is that for those who are in Christ... For those who are trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ in his perfect life, his substitutionary death, and his victory over the grave, God has already meted out his wrath on Jesus who died in our place. There is hope for those who are in Christ, but for those who are apart from faith in Jesus Christ, while it may look like you're getting away with sin, and while it may look like everything's gonna be just fine, no one's really watching, there is an end, and God will bring justice. And you will be judged for your rebellion against him and for your rejection against him. Today, friends, know that there will be a reckoning and all who remain in rebellion against the one true and living God will suffer eternally. So today, just ask yourself this question. Am I fearing? Am I standing in awe? Am I worshiping with reverence the one true and living God? Am I... Am I seeking after and loving the sovereign God, the sovereign judge. Are you pursuing his will? Are you today resting in Jesus Christ? Well, not only do we, should we fear the sovereign judge, we should hope in the powerful healer. We should hope in the powerful healer. That's where the text brings us to. During their three months on the island over winter, Paul was engaged in a healing ministry. Right? And he connects with the chief man of the island, a man named Publius, who was very gracious and hospitable and cared for the people there. And we learn that his father was sick. And through his connection with Paul, Paul shows grace. Paul loves this person in the sense that he wants to care for them. And through the ministry that God had given him, Paul is going to heal the father-in-law. But then others hear about it and they all come and they all want to be cured and they say those who had disease came and they were cured. Now when the viper bit Paul, they figured they would die and that Paul, he, he would die and he would get what he deserved. But when he didn't die, instead they viewed him as a god. But I think Luke is clear here in verse 8 telling us that Paul prayed to God and laid his hands on the people and they were healed. So it's likely then that uh, not all the people of Malta thought he was a god, but that he was closely connected to a powerful god, which is true. He's closely connected to the powerful healer, to the sovereign. Judge now interestingly there's no mention of paul's evangelistic teaching on the island of Malta, however, all of us would conclude that likely Paul was telling people about Jesus, telling people that the hope their hope is found in Jesus. Hope is found in this powerful healer because that 's how he lived his life because that 's what he did wherever he went. He began to tell people about Jesus and church I wanna focus just a moment here on the healing ministry on the island of Malta. And the first thing to note is that there's no overt mention of the faith of the people being healed. No mention of faith here, only that Paul prayed and then they were cured. In light of this, it's difficult to conclude much beyond the fact that Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, was gifted in a special way for a special time. And while there are no modern day apostles like Peter or like Paul living today, God has not changed. He is still powerful, and he is still able to bring healing whenever he chooses to do so. He can do anything he wants to do. Now, I hate the fact that I have to put disclaimers on this, but in our world, this truth has been twisted and abused. And there are theological teachings, and there are popular movements that basically say that you can ultimately coax God into doing something. That if you just do enough of this or believe enough of that or have enough intensity and urgency in the way that you seek Him or or believe Him or follow Him, then you can get God to do about anything. That you can manipulate God in just about any way. But we know that's not true, friends. God is sovereign. God can do anything He wants, but He will not be manipulated by human beings. Yes, we're called to pray and we're called to seek God, and we're called to be humble and to depend on God, but God is not at our mercy. We are at God's mercy, and he is all wise. So friends, whether he chooses to bring physical healing in this life or not, that's his prerogative, but we can count on ultimate healing in the resurrection. We can count on ultimate healing in the resurrection. And friends, our ultimately ultimate hope isn't in physical health right now. Why? Because everyone will die. Unless Jesus comes back first. So we could have a healing from something and then the next week get in a car accident and die. That's not our hope. Physical healing in this life is not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is the return of Christ where we are gloriously changed and brought into his presence forever. Our hope is Jesus. One day he will make all things new. We hope in the powerful healer, Jesus, not simply for healing in the here and now, but for forever healing in his presence. I love the song. Many have heard it. Hope has a name. The last verse of the song, there'll be a day my hope complete. Now home in glory your face I'll see. My pain no more, my fears will cease. I bow my life, I fix my eyes on Christ my King. I bow my life, I fix my eyes on Christ my King. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. My Savior's cross has set this sinner free. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Oh Christ be praised, I have victory, amen? Amen. Third, trust in the promise keeping God. Trust in the promise-keeping God. So we're gonna pick up the text here in verse 11 and read through 16. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days and so we came to Rome. Now let me just stop there for a minute. There's no testimony of any of the apostles going to this city, Putulio, Putulio. there's no record of it. How did the gospel get there? The gospel got there because people like you and me believed it and spoke it and lived it. See, the gospel is advancing, and it's not just depending on the apostles where they go, but they talk to people who believe the gospel, and then those people go, and they spread it elsewhere. That's how God designed it. That's how God set it up. Yeah, the apostles played an important role. The early church was an important part of the gospel spreading, led by the apostles, but it wasn't just the apostles. It was people like you and people like me who would take the gospel to other places and talk to other people people picking up in verse 15 and the brothers there when they heard about us came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us on seeing them Paul thanked God and took courage and when we came into Rome Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him now friends so they're on the island for three months and then they begin their journey by ship up to Italy And we know that they go various places, they stop. The last 150 or so miles of their trip, they made on foot. But this is what I want to focus on. Just as God said, Paul made it to Rome. Just as God said, he would testify to the facts of the resurrection there. Even if we don't read about him standing before Caesar in this book here. The journey may not have always gone the way Paul wanted it to go but that's where faith comes in. Faith in the promise keeping God. Like us, I'm sure that Paul would have loved an easier path. Like us, I'm sure that Paul would have loved to avoid the plots against his life, that he would have loved to avoid delays in imprisonment, would have loved to avoid being beaten and left for dead, would have loved to avoid being bitten by a snake. But Paul wasn't worried, was he? Because God was with him. And because God is faithful, he is a promise-keeping God. He knew that if God said it, that God would do it. Friends, our God is always faithful. We've seen this over and over in the book of Acts. We've seen this over, we see it over and over in Scripture that God does what he says. He's the God of covenant. The God of faithful promises, the trials and the joys that we face along the way, God is using them redemptively in our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ, to give us testimony about the power of God, about his greatness, and he tests us even to prove our faith, to refine our faith. No, God is faithful. We see this over and over. His promise is that he will finish the good work that he has begun in all of us, even to the day of Christ Jesus. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter one, Paul can say that for all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. All of God's promises, friends. If we are in Christ, then we have eternal hope and we have eternal joy. For God has been faithful to Christ. God raised Jesus from the dead. And if you are in Christ, then you will be raised from the dead because of your union with him. Through faith. So, whatever difficulty you're facing now, know that God is at work for your ultimate good. Know that in the midst of the pain, He is working. When you're struggling, cry out to Him, seek Him, experience the peace that only He can give. When you're anxious, run to Him, seek Him, ask Him to give you hope, to remind you of the hope that you have in. Christ Jesus. In the darkest moments, friends, cry out to God because he is worthy and because he is faithful and he does not go back on his word. Well, finally, speak and live the gospel. Speak and live the gospel, friends. This is where we've been all year, right? This has been our 12 month focus. We want to be a church that proclaims Christ and make disciples who speak and live the gospel let's look at these last verses of the book of acts beginning in verse 17 after three days he called together the local leaders of the jews and when they had gathered he said to them brothers though i had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers yet i was delivered as a prisoner from jerusalem into the hands of the romans when they had examined me they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he had said, but others disbelieved. After disagreeing about themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul's in Rome. He's under house arrest which meant that he would have been constantly guarded by a by by some Roman soldiers chained to one Roman soldier rotating around the clock. But he had some freedom even as he was chained to chained to a soldier people were allowed to come and visit him and he was allowed to testify to Jesus. And since he couldn't do what he would normally do which would be go to the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue when he entered a new town, he brought the Jewish synagogue to himself. And Paul was concerned, of course, that the Jews had tainted their view of him, that they had slandered him, that they had had spoke negatively about him, but they said, well, we actually haven't heard anything about you, we don't know, but we have heard about the way, and we want to know about this sect, we want to hear your views about this, because everyone's speaking against it. So what did Paul do, what you'd expect him to do? He told them about Jesus and he pointed to the scripture all day long. He expounded the text and he said, this is Jesus. The law of Moses spoke about Jesus and Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses. And these are the prophets and they all spoke about Jesus, the one who was to come. In other words, he was saying to the Jews who believed in a Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. And perhaps unsurprisingly, some of them believed. They were persuaded. They were convinced by what Paul said, but Of course, others disbelieved, and then dissension grew among the Jews. And friends, that's how it is. When we speak the gospel, not everyone who hears is going to believe, but some will. We've been commissioned to go and to speak and to share the good news, and we should expect that some will disbelieve, but we should also expect that some will believe. Well, at this point, the Apostle Paul quotes the voice of the Lord recorded in Isaiah chapter 6. Right, Isaiah, you remember the passage? Isaiah sees this vision of the Holy God, and he is undone. Holy God is saying, Whom shall we send? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. And you'll recall that right after that, Isaiah 6, the Lord tells Isaiah that he will have a ministry, but it will be a, quote, fruitless ministry, that no one's going to listen. No one's going to believe. They have eyes, but they aren't going to see. They have ears, but they're not going to hear. They have hearts, but they aren't going to perceive. In fact, what the Lord is telling Isaiah is that every time you preach, every time you speak, it's only going to serve to harden their hearts, to dull their minds. Well, Paul picks up on this and he applies it to his own ministry. And he says, this is what it's like among the Jews. Well, not every Jew, right? Right. But Paul too has been commissioned by the Lord. And he too is preaching to a people who will not hear, who will not see, who will not perceive. This is the summary of Paul's ministry. Right? Paul is saved out of a religion that is devoid of power to save. But the Spirit of God comes upon him and changes him through his hope and his trust in Jesus Christ. And things change. And he speaks to his own, but his own will not listen. So he says, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going to the nations as God had called me to do, commissioned me to do. And they will listen. And they are listening. We've seen this in all the cities. We've seen this throughout the book of Acts, that they go and they speak and, they, and that the Gentiles are following Christ. And here he is now in Rome. Friends, God will judge his people, Israel, That's what what Isaiah is saying here. That's what the prophet is saying, as Paul quotes. And part of that judgment is that the gospel will go to the nations, and they will listen. That's what the book of Acts is about. Paul's life was devoted to speaking and living the gospel. And there, under house arrest, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, that's what his life was about, even in jail, even under house arrest for two years there in Rome. And he was fruitful, Right, three years before he would end up in Rome, he wrote this letter to the church at Rome, and while he's in jail in Rome, he writes more letters, likely Philippians and Philemon and Colossian and 2 Timothy, all while he's under house arrest, all while he's speaking to others about the good news of Jesus Christ. But friends, that's what you do when you understand your commission, That's what Paul did because he understood his commission. And we need to hear that. That's what we will do when we understand our commission we'll speak and we'll live the gospel. And by the power of the Spirit, we too will be fruitful. I want you to flip over to the book, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, just a few pages going toward the back of the New Testament to the end of the New Testament. I want you to hear what Paul writes. Again, likely Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi while he was under house arrest in Rome. And I want you to hear what he says. Philippians chapter one, verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see it? Under house arrest, an opportunity to tell about Jesus. Shipwrecked, an opportunity to tell about Jesus, traveling to various cities an opportunity to tell about Jesus, beaten and left for dead, dead an opportunity to tell about Jesus. In the workplace, at school, in the break room, on the sports team, in the neighborhood, at the doctor's office, reading to your kids or to your grandkids, you got it. An opportunity to tell about Jesus. An opportunity to speak and live the gospel. And people will listen. Not everyone, but everyone that God has appointed to eternal life. Acts 13 48. Friends, if we've learned anything in this study, it's that God has called us to Himself. He's commissioned us to a mission. He's empowered us for the mission to speak and live the gospel. And He's faithful, He's with you, and He's faithful to accomplish his purpose church hope has a name and his name is jesus let's be people who speak jesus let's be people who speak and live the gospel in a moment here we're going to have a time of invitation and surrender and worship And if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, but yet today you are pierced to your core that you need the forgiveness of sin that comes only through Christ, come and talk to us. Or catch us after the service. We would love to connect with you about how you can know the hope of eternal life and forgiveness of sin. If you're struggling with life, call out to the faithful, promise-keeping God who cares. He cares for you. And he wants to give you hope and peace We want you to realize that in your life even now. If you're in need of prayer, we want to pray with you. We're here, available at the front. If you want to pray right where you are, maybe with people that you know or people that you're with today, we want to encourage you to do that, to seek the Lord in prayer. Or if you're ready for baptism or you want to join this church and you've been through a membership process, we want to celebrate with you. So come, let us know those things. We're going to sing a song that we've not sung here at this church. Some of you will know it. And if you don't know it, or even if you do, why don't you just listen and reflect on God's word, at least for that first verse, and then join in with worshipful hearts seeking him. Will you pray with me? God, you're good, and we love you. And we're thankful for this journey through the book of Acts. We're thankful for the repeated picture of your faithfulness and of your power, for the promise of your spirit, for the promise of your presence. And we're thankful for the the mission that you have entrusted to us, to speak and to live the gospel. Lord, make us faithful witnesses for Jesus Christ. And Lord, have your way in us. Magnify your name. Be lifted high turn our eyes and our hearts towards you, Jesus, for you are our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand and respond as God leads?